Man, I'm so excited that today the day has arrived, so hope to see you out there, you know, for Trunk or Treat, inviting friends, participating, be a part of, you know, what God potentially can do in the life of someone else. want to remind you also that next week is our next DNA. Now, again, DNA is an opportunity for you to kind of put a stake in the ground, say, this is going to be my home church. And there is a big difference between making something your home, making a church your home versus just attending and even being committed to that church. So I want to encourage you to become, if that's something that you're interested in. Uh, the other way is if you're processing through, what's my next step in my relationship with Jesus? What a great, you know, just smaller time frame for us to be able to do that together. So welcome, you know, to the last week, you know, of our series called Plot Twist. Has this been a good series, you know, so far? It's been really good. Um, I know I've been challenged, you know, by it. I've been convicted, I've been encouraged, you know, through it all. And so we're going to wrap things up, you know, today because we all know that plot twists take place in all of our lives. Uh, uh, a few weeks ago, I was uh, told that uh, Steve and I were going to be headed to Uganda to work with a bunch of pastors, you know, for about a week, a week and a half, you know, coming up in just a couple of weeks. Well, something called Ebola showed up on the scene, and so after talking with uh, him and the elders and others, we're like, nope, this is probably not a good idea, but where there is a pivot, we said, maybe we want, should cancel. God said, no, there opened up an opportunity for us to go to Egypt instead uh, and to work with 40 different pastors who are pastors in different countries in the Middle East. And so I'm like, uh, I don't even know I'm going to say these people. I want to learn from these guys, you know. And so just be praying for that. We're leaving on uh, November 13th, you know, and we're going to be gone for about eight, you know, days for that. But that's just an example of when one door seems to close, are we open enough to say God may have something in store? And so as we come to the end of the story of Joseph, I want us to look back a little bit and be reminded of some of these plot twists. Joseph, born in a dysfunctional family, and then plot twist, it gets worse, his brothers sell him into slavery. Ends up at Potiphar's house, rises up to promiscuity, promiscuity, wrong word, you know, uh, I already was going to his wife, you know, which would have been promiscuous, you know, as well. It's not even 11 o'clock yet, you know, and I'm already talking about promiscuity. Uh, prominence is what I meant to say, uh, and his wife, uh, plot twist, you know, wants to seduce and sleep with him, which would have been promiscuous, you know, and that's what I meant to say. Uh, don't record this one, just kind of throw it out. It's just not, not worth it. Uh, and, and so uh, he ends up in jail, falsely accused. And so he's in jail and he grows, you know, into the second in charge, you know, in jail. And then uh, he interprets some dreams and then plot twist, Pharaoh has a dream. He interprets that. He rises up to second in command. And if it was a Disney movie and they lived happily ever after, fade to black. But plot twist, his brothers come to town. So his brothers come into town. He's like, oh, I have to deal with this pain of my past. And so he walks through that and he forgives them. They go back home. They grab their father, Jacob, and all of their relatives. And they come back and they live in Egypt. What a real life story. You see, plot twists can actually be preparation for the next season in our lives. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before. Everything can happen in our lives for a reason, whether we caused the pain or the challenge or the plot twist or that it's happening to us, but it can be preparation for the next season. For example, how did Joseph lead so well as second in command of all of Egypt? Could it be that he learned something by rising up into a household named Potiphar where he was what? Second in command. Could it be when he went to prison, he rose up to be second in command? 
which prepared him for the next step. See, oftentimes we get this hurry up mentality, like we want to go here and we want to be there instantly. And God says, no, there's some character development, there's some growth, there's some leadership things that you're going to need to learn as you go through life. And this is one of those steps, even though it's hard to see at the time. I'm not going to look at my own life. One of the reasons I'm standing before you today is because of these different things that have taken place over time that led me here at this moment. Every day is a training day for the next things in our lives if we choose to live by a different script. You see, our society and even your own nature is going to try to pull you one direction and you're going to have to make regular daily little choices to choose to live differently. And that's hard. It's hard to do. But we're not alone in this. Now, here's what was interesting. This week, I have no idea where this came from. I'm going to give God 100% credit. But as I uh, was just looking at the story of Joseph as we're wrapping up this week, it just hit me that Joseph's life is a personification of the Lord's prayer. And many of you know the Lord's prayer. In fact, we're we're going to say the Lord's prayer together. And what we're going to do as we wrap up this series is... What allows us to live by a different script is praying and living the Lord's Prayer daily. It's praying and understanding what does that prayer mean because it is counter-culture. It's counter-intuitive in some cases, and Joseph is the example of that kind of life. And so with this, let's, let's say this prayer together. I think we have it on screen, so you know, uh, whether you memorized it or not, and I know we have different versions, that's why I decided to put it all on the same screen, so we're all at least saying the different words. So let's, let's say this prayer to God right now. Ready? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And and so what I want to look at is Joseph's kind of six chapters of his life, six points of his life, that if we understand what this Lord's Prayer means, you're going to see similar things take place in your and my life as well. And so the first is, uh, like Joseph, we can have an uncommon family perspective. Okay, an uncommon family perspective. I love how the Lord's Prayer starts. It starts with our Father. It doesn't say God or Creator, even though all those things are true. It gets personal to say that God is our Father. Joseph came from a very dysfunctional family. Just as a reminder, his brothers hated him, and their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. They sell him into slavery. That's a bad dysfunctional family. Okay, you, I don't know your circumstance. I don't know the family that you came from. I don't know whether it was really good or really hard, but isn't it just like God that he would set up a church that would be more known as a family than a location, more known as a family than just a worship service, that we would be called brothers and sisters in Christ, and he would be our father whether we had a good or not so good father as well, that we could exhibit what the family of God is supposed to look like because we are the family of God. Romans chapter eight says this, for all who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. You ever notice that God has no grandchildren? That's the direct connection that we have with our father. So you have not received the spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you 
He adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, which means daddy. So very familiar, Abba father. And for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children, that we are the family of God. And so what a way to say that prayer. What a way to be remembered, to be reminded when you start with that prayer, our father in heaven, God, you are our father. And secondly, like Joseph, we can have an uncommon faith, an uncommon faith. Oh, you can have a faith where you just kind of show up to church and, you know, tell other people that you're a Christian because 80% or so of our country says they're followers of Jesus, or I should say that they're Christian, or you can have something a little bit more uncommon. As we see with this prayer, the prayer continues that Jesus teaches us, and he he teaches some weird words that's not usually in our vernacular. Hallowed be your name. (laughs) What, What does that even mean? Okay, hallowed be your name means to ask God to make his name be worshiped. His name be exalted or honored, adored on earth as his name is being exalted, honored, and adored in heaven. It's to ask God to so move and act in our world that people will worship and treasure him above all else. Now, if you look at Joseph's life, Joseph honored God's name above all. And every time there was an opportunity to bring a spotlight on Joseph, what did he do? It's not about me. It's about him. You might remember when he's having this conversation with Pharaoh. Uh, Pharaoh says to Joseph, I had a dream last night. No one here can tell me about what it means. But I have, a, I have heard that when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. It's beyond my power, Joseph says, to do this. But God, but God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. I'm not the one that's going to do it. God is the one that can do this. I get to be that vessel and to be used by him. So for us, I want us to be reminded, you know, of what we truly believe doesn't happen more on the mountaintops. It actually happens in the valley. It exposes what do we believe over and over. And in the times of the valley is when the world notices the most, when your family notices the most, when everybody else notices the most. What do you say about God? How do you live for for him? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, not based on circumstance, based on who he is, and Joseph was able to do that. Number three, like Joseph, we can choose to have an uncommon commitment to God's plans, an uncommon commitment. I love this next section in the Lord's, Lord's Prayer, and it's probably one of the most challenging for us. And Jesus teaches us, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, the story is about God. The story isn't about us. It's about us helping God advance his kingdom if we want to make it about us. It's about him. You're not the main character and neither am I. Our job is to help God usher in his kingdom. Now, God's kingdom, I don't know if you ever realize this, God's kingdom is wherever his reign and his rule is taking place. So his kingdom is not based on geographic circumstances. It's not based on, well, God's kingdom is this city or this state or this country. It's not about God's kingdom. God's kingdom is not based on a city, state, or or country. It is based on a group of people choosing to say, your will, your reign, your rule, you're the king. I get to be under your incredible kingdom. That's what that looks like. So when Jesus is telling us, you know, to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, we are submitting ourselves once again to him. Now, 
a little bit extra credit, you know, uh, for this service. Uh, in the New Testament, there is a chapter in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. It's called the, the Hall of Faith or the Faith Chapter. And in Hebrews chapter 11, it starts listing all of these men and women who had incredible faith in God. Some did incredible things for God. Others gave their life willingly and their life didn't last a long time for God and his kingdom. And so he walks through all of these faith people. Well, you'd think Joseph would be in that chapter and you'd be right. Joseph is in the hall of faith. He is in that chapter of faith. Now, If you were being led by the Spirit to write chapter 11, what would you say now that you know the story of Joseph? Would you write about his incredible faith when it came to trusting God in all circumstances? Would you write about his faith as he stood before Pharaoh declaring who God is? There's so many aspects of Joseph's life that you could write about his faith. So let's read what the writer of Hebrews emphasizes about Joseph. His totality of his life when it comes to faith, he puts it down in verse 22. It was by faith that Joseph, when he was about to die, said confidently that the people of Israel would leave Egypt. He even commanded them to take his bones with them when they left. That's it. What is going on? That would be nothing that I would think of. Now, now the writer is referring to the end of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 50, it says, Soon I will die, Joseph tells his brother. So this is the end of his life. But God will surely come to help you and lead you out of this land of Egypt. He will bring you back to the land he solemnly promised, which we would know as the promised land, the nation, the place for Israel, to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath, and he said, when God comes to help you and lead you back, you must take my bones with you. So Joseph died at the age of 110. The Egyptians embalmed him, and his body was placed in a coffin of Egypt. The writer of Hebrews is emphasizing his faith is about God and God's purpose and plan for his people. So he's saying it wasn't about Joseph, It was how God got a chance to use Joseph to lead them to Egypt and that God would use Joseph to proclaim to his people as a reminder that that's not where their destination would lay. They would actually go to the promised land. In other words, he's saying it's about you and your kingdom and Joseph is actually trying to model and live that as well. Now, I know that can even get hard. It's hard. It's hard in my life and I know it's hard in yours to constantly pray and be reminded, God, not my will, but yours be done. Your plans, your agenda, you're in control. That is, it's just really hard to do. One of the things that helps us is to know that we're not alone in living this kind of uncommon life, that God is with us. And that's what we see with Joseph. It's in verse, uh, chapter 39, verse two. It says, the Lord was with Joseph when he was in Potiphar's house. So he succeeded in everything he did and served in the home of the Egyptian master. Then when Joseph was sent to prison for a crime he didn't commit, but the Lord was with Joseph in the prison. And then we see what Jesus tells us when we choose to follow him. He says, and I, Jesus, am with you always to the very end of the age. God is with us on the mountaintops, but he's with us in the valleys. He's with us in great successes, but he's also there with us in our failures. God is with us. So when we go through difficult times, especially the ones 
that we didn't cause by our own decisions and actions, we can remember but God. But God is there and he's with us. And I can trust, I can trust it to be about him because he's going to help me to make it about him. Which leads us to number four. Joseph, like Joseph, we can have an uncommon dependence on God's provision. Now this one is, is odd. And it's odd because this is not one as Americans we, we, we pray very awfully or at least with the kind of faith or intentionality it was intended. Because Jesus teaches the next part of the Lord's prayer is give us this day our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. That's not a common phrase that most of us in this room pray. Okay, we would only pray that because Jesus told us to pray that. But I wonder if we understand the meaning behind that, whether we've received it or not. The purpose in which he's teaching us to understand, give us today this bread, the most common you know, uh, uh, source of sustenance in all the known world for all time is bread. What God is saying is, are you dependent upon me for your provision? Or are you dependent upon you? Are you dependent on me? And so by praying that prayer, it's not just for the bread, the specific bread that you eat. What if you eat a meal without bread? Well, that, that, that verse doesn't mean anything. It's what it represents. God, everything that I have is because everything belongs to you, and I'm choosing to recognize by your, my dependence on you, you're the one who's provided for me. If you look at Joseph's life, you see this time and time and time again. His uncommon dependence on God. I mean, I can't believe his attitude, his focus, and his behavior was on God. And God provided, provided, provided. And he continued to reveal that as he went through. The other thing that's not said, but it is illustrated through his life. Joseph had an incredible work ethic. Okay, sometimes we might think that in relationship with God, uh, we're just going to sit on our couch and pray, God, you do all the work. That's never how God works. It's always in partnership with him. So there's a work ethic that Joseph illustrates, and then in the work, God then blesses him. He doesn't say, I'm just going to have somebody do the work for you. He says, no, no, whether you're in prison, you know, whether you're in the palace, these are the things, these are the attitudes, this is the behavior I want you to have. The one of the things that we need to be reminded of is you might find yourself in a great work environment. You might find yourself loving or not loving your teachers, your coaches, your principals, the people at work. But whatever the circumstance, they're not your boss. Jesus is. And what a reminder in, in uh, Colossians chapter 3, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you inheritance as your reward that the master you are serving is Christ. Joseph knew he wasn't serving Potiphar. He knew he wasn't serving the prison warden. And he knows he's not serving Pharaoh. He is serving God in the opportunities that he has provided. God is the one who provides all things. And sometimes, especially as Americans, this is a mindset that's been, a narrative that's been pushed out. You have because you've earned it. By your gifts, by your talents, you have earned what you have. And God wants us to remind us that the only reason we have is because God has given us the ability to even earn those things in the first place. In Deuteronomy 8.18, But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. So the next time that you and I pray, 
Lord, give us today our daily bread. What you're saying is, God, thank you for the provision that I am dependent upon you for my very survival. Thank you for what you provided. Thank you for giving me the gifts to be able to provide. Thank you that you own everything in the world and I get to have a portion of that. That is a whole different way to look at that one verse that Joseph understood, whether he was in prison or he was in the palace of what that meant. Number five, like Joseph, we can give and receive uncommon forgiveness. This is different than the world. We talked a lot about this last week, but Jesus challenged for us in the Lord's Prayer, in verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And I hope that this last week, as we really dove a little deeper into that, that you got some time to pray and to process and to talk with some people and, and uh, write some things out, maybe even to have some moments of, of some tears and just lamenting and grieving you know, went on, whether you had to give or to receive, and that it actually created a burden lifted in many of your hearts and minds. And I understand that there's a process that we go through for that as well. Now, what's interesting about the story of Joseph is it's not the first time that he has to do this with his brothers. Joseph's father eventually dies, Jacob, he dies. And the brothers freak out. They're like, uh-oh, Jacob's gone. He must have been the reason why Joseph was so merciful to us and so we're dead. His revenge is coming now. Hey, let's make up a story. Let's go in and tell him that, hey, uh, your father, our father's on his deathbed, he said, and treat your brothers with kindness. You know, so, the, so they, they, they make up this story, you know, be able to do so. He goes there and they tell him, like, hey, just so you know, this is what dad said before he died, that, that don't take all that revenge on, even though we deserve it, that kind of narrative. And then Joseph tells his brothers this in Genesis chapter 50, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. It's the second time he's told them that very statement. So don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. Forgiveness is a process. It takes time. We're gonna have to do it over and over and over sometimes, which leads us to number six. Like Joseph, we can also, by living a different script, can have uncommon wisdom. Uncommon wisdom. Now, Jesus goes on with this because he knows that we need this wisdom in order for this to be fulfilled in verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Remember, Joseph needed wisdom and the courage to act on that wisdom when Potiphar's wife wanted to seduce and sleep with him. No one here has more authority than I do. He was, he's held back nothing for me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. He's been given wisdom by God that's completely countercultural to what would have been accepted or okay in certain instances in that culture. And he says, no, here's the wisdom that I need to receive. Now, I love about, what I love about the New Testament is that it kind of gives us some insight into the Old Testament. And Stephen, in our New Testament, is one of the first martyrs, first person to die for their faith. And before he dies for his faith, he has the Jewish audience, he has their attention, and he walks through some Jewish history. He spends a good and fair amount of time talking about Joseph. But one insight that he gives us that we didn't know in the Old Testament, even though we saw it firsthand, but he makes it very plain and clear, is this. God also gave Joseph unusual wisdom so that Pharaoh appointed him governor over all of Egypt and put him in charge of the palace. 
So he has unusual wisdom. Now, you might be thinking like myself, well, I want that. I want some unusual wisdom. Here's the good news. You can. And it doesn't cost 99 cents. You can actually have this free. James 1.5 says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. You just have to believe and say, God, I need wisdom. This is something that my dad taught me when I was young, something our, our elders pray for on a regular basis, something I want to encourage you to pray for all the time. God, give me wisdom and the courage to act on the wisdom that only comes from you. That, my friends, will lead to an uncommon life. And so as we transition, is choose today to join others in living an uncommon life. Live by a different script, regardless of life's plot twists. As you can see, that there's going to be a list on the screen of what we've covered today, which covers the entire series that we've kind of gone through. And my question for you is, what is the one that God is asking you to apply today or this week? Is it an uncommon family perspective? An uncommon faith. Maybe it's an uncommon commitment to God's plan or an uncommon dependence on God's provision, an uncommon forgiveness or uncommon wisdom. Which one? And I would encourage you to share that with somebody else. Say, this is the one. Because if we choose to live our lives by all, all six of these things, you will live your life by a completely different script. And you will live your life emulating what the Lord's prayer is all about. And my prayer is that now every time you, you, you have a chance to hear or say the Lord's Prayer, it will remind you of the real story of Joseph, which can also be the real story of your life. It's different, but it's the best. And so with this, I want you to say this Lord's Prayer with me once again, but maybe with a little bit more conviction on aspects that may be more applicable to your life on this day. Say this with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. As we close, I want you to see an example of what this looks like. Because I understand that the odds can be stacked against you. The odds can be stacked against you in certain circumstances and difficulties and challenges, you know, in your life. And yet, when you submit yourself to God, those odds completely change. And so I want you to see one story of that as we uh, get illustrated to by the life of Zach. Go ahead and watch the screen with me now. I remember uh, meeting with a school counselor once and we were going through all the factors that make a child at risk, you know, at risk to becoming a plight of society. And if you had five out of 10 check boxes out of the, the list, that means you are an at-risk child. Whether it was alcoholism in the home, divorce, uh, abandonment, uh, abuse, I hit 10 out of 10. And the counselor looked at me and said that I had every right to become just like my parents. I had every right to become an alcoholic. I had every right um, to end up in jail someday. And if I did, it would make sense. And nobody would probably blame me for it just because this is the, the cards that I was dealt. This is the, the script that I was written. When I was 13, I found my way to a church and a youth group because there was some cute girl that invited me. And I remember hearing the gospel for the first time about a, a 
from a pastor, and he told a story about a kid who wanted to commit suicide. And he said, you know, this, this kid, his name was Brandon. Brandon's not here anymore, but you are. And I'm not letting you leave until you know that there's a heavenly father that loves you and cares for you and died for you. And I just remember for the first time hearing those words, I love you, and feeling like they actually had some weight behind them. And it changed everything. And I realized in that moment, at 13 years old, that it didn't have to be my parents, and I could live my life by a different script. I never felt safe. I never felt home. And so there was something in me that when I accepted Jesus, I was like, you know what? I don't have that, but I can provide that in some way. And so fast forward to now, 3,000 miles away from my home of Ohio, and I have an actual home where I can have friends over when they're hurting. Um, I can be a safe space for them. I'm trying to honor the Lord in, in using the things that he's given me, including the pain, using the things he's given me, including the hurt, um, to know that that doesn't have to be a part of my story that is just forgotten. Instead of fighting against it and just being stuck, trying to white knuckle my way out of my situation, I think I just gave it to Jesus and let him change the script. You're not helpless because God is, is so powerful and so strong and so good that he wants to take those things that have brought you the most pain in your life and he wants to use them for his glory. He wants to use those to shape you and to speak in the lives of other people who are feeling just as helpless as you are because Jesus can transform anything. He can take the pain and he can make it good. You just have to trust that he's gonna do that. He did it in my life and I know for a fact that he can do it in yours.